This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. What if comparing car insurance rates was as easy as putting on your favorite podcast? With Progressive, it is. Just visit the Progressive website to quote with all the coverages you want. You'll see Progressive's direct rate, then their tool will provide options from other companies so you can compare. All you need to do is choose the rate and coverage you like. Quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. I'm Tanya Mosley. In 1987, my sister Anita vanished without a trace. Decades later, thanks to DNA, we found her. But that's only the beginning of the story. She Has a Name is a new audio documentary that explores the search for redemption, confronting trauma, and healing in the face of unimaginable loss. Subscribe now to Truth Be Told Presents She Has a Name, where every revelation brings us closer to the truth. Hello, welcome to another episode of Women Who Travel. I'm Lale Arikoglu. A few years ago, a friend suggested I follow Rachel Cargill on Instagram, and I was immediately captivated by the discourse she was starting about self-care and our obligation to bring accountability to our own feminism. I also noticed that she loves to travel. An activist, philanthropist, educator, and entrepreneur, her new memoir and manifesto, A Renaissance of Our Own, is about redesigning your life and being true to your values. It has a persuasive section on the huge benefits of recharging. I really have this definition of rest, looking at the physical and mental understanding of rest to get a break from the constant strain that we're under in a variety of spaces. For me, taking a break is work in progress. And I know I'm not unique in finding it hard to actually carve out time for myself guilt-free. But rest for Rachel isn't seen as a self-indulgence. It's self-preservation, an approach that often manifests itself in her travels. When she spoke to me, she wasn't at home in New York, but in a hotel room in Washington, D.C. It's been thunderstorming here in D.C., and I've been feeling so grateful because I have this beautiful window. And um, yesterday, I literally worked from the bed. I took a long nap during the day. I ordered in room service and I was thinking about how wonderful it was to just experience a thunderstorm from the comfort of this big fluffy bed watching, you know, answering my emails and watching Bravo on TV. Oh my God, (laughs) that sounds like bliss. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And I felt like that was rest in the same way that maybe the day before rest for me was um, clearing my calendar and walking from museum to museum to museum until I was physically exhausted and came home and took a bath. I'm getting better at knowing what I need. I'm getting better at not like spending excessively because I forgot things. I'm getting better at um, learning how to like wind down from travel once I get home. Um, And it takes, you know, a lot of being curious about ourselves to get to a point where we know what we want and actually incorporating that into our days, weeks, months, years travel. Do you feel like a vacation needs to be something of tranquility? Um, And sort of what do you look for in your own travels? Mm. I think it can be. I don't think there's any rules. (laughs) I think this idea that there's one way to travel or one way to vacation or one way to rest doesn't serve any of us. 
Rachel believes that planning a trip isn't just about booking a cheap flight in order to use up your vacation days. For it to be truly restorative, it should take a good deal of self-reflection about what is a good fit for you. I've been really having a conversation with myself about this concept of the life escalator that we're placed on uh, when we're born that moves up at this ongoing pace. We don't, we can't stop it. We seemingly have no control over where it's going. It has this end destination that has been determined for us. And so um, hopping off of that life escalator. Now I speak a lot about like, I have this stained glass staircase where sometimes I'm sitting on one step for a while and sometimes I realize I have some things to learn and I'm moving backwards. Love the escalator analogy and feel like I really need to sit on one of the steps for a while. Um, That's kind of of where I'm at at the moment. Mm -hmm. And I also think it's so interesting that you don't define rest as pausing necessarily. I mean, it can be by the sounds of Mm -hmm. yesterday when you were watching the thunderstorm from bed, like that could be considered a pause. But it's Mm -hmm. also it can be exploring a city and it can be traveling someplace far away and being busy. When I travel to somewhere brand new, I often do want to dive into exploring the space, which for me often means, you know, I want to go and see some art. I want to try like the local coffee. I want to uh, go to some restaurants that I've heard were really great. I might want to do some type of tour. Everyone travels differently. When I was in Norway last month, I found myself wanting to play tourist some days by museum hopping in Oslo and taking a gloriously cheesy fjord tour with sweating out the day at a no-frills sauna on a riverboat that only locals went to. It's so much easier to do random quirky things if you are on your own. It's a way that Rachel also loves to travel, and she has a ton of advice for how to do it. I love to solo travel because, you know, if I want to sleep in another five hours, I don't have to really consider about whether someone else is hungry or not. Um, I think if I want to stay at a place a little longer, um, I have a bit of freedom to do so. I also love solo travel because I've met so many wonderful people from the fact that I was alone. You know, I was a bit more open to conversation or joining another group in where they're headed. And I think solo travel is such a kind thing we can do for ourselves um, to see how we show up in the world, to see what type of people and experiences we attract, um, to push our limits and see what we're capable of. I think solo travel, um, was was a huge stepping stone to a lot of my understanding of my own interests, um, capabilities. And I feel like talking to strangers when you're on your own is a bit of a skill that one has to hone. What are your tips for people? How did you get good at it? You know, taking the time to really read a room or read people and especially when you're traveling, which is very hard for us Americans to do, but to recognize that the way you do things isn't how it's done everywhere. And so when you walk into a space, you have to honor the fact that you are following and not leading in a space. I also think that being open to the kindness that people have. I think in most other cultures I've been to, people are much kinder than what I experience in America. And so I think that the surprise that comes from someone offering you, you know, a drink while you're just walking down the street and they're, you know, handing it to you from their kitchen window or someone 
you know, I, I think some, especially in Japan, some of the customer service is so beyond anything that you would receive in the U.S. And instead of, um, you know, holding on tight to what you understand to be right or understandable and being willing to come in as a guest in other people's spaces, whether it's the space of their country or even their home. You kind of have to learn to be a bit more trusting as well, because I think you end up, if you're not used to that level of kindness, then you kind of immediately get suspicious of it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think what also comes to mind for me is like trusting yourself, because of course, everyone isn't kind. And of course, there are spaces in every country that looks for an opportunity to take advantage of tourists. And so one of the big things for me is building my confidence muscle and building my self-trust muscle, because there are times where I'm like, okay, this just doesn't feel right. And there's no basic explanation for it, but I trust my intuition and I move, you know, I move, I remove myself. And sometimes I was like, wow, I'm so glad I did that. And sometimes I'm like, I have no clue why I felt that way, but I'm glad that I trusted myself. And I think that can also go towards what you trust uh, in other people. So like, like, wow, you know what? This is such a bizarre thing that this person is, you know, being kind in a way that I'm that's unfamiliar to me, but I trust myself to be able to keep myself safe in this situation. I didn't get to travel a lot as a child. And I thought my world was so small back then. I was I'm from Ohio originally. And you know, going to Cleveland, I would have thought I was in New York City with the buildings and the people. And I always loved the experience of being in a different type of landscape, even if it was just a few towns over. And so when I got old enough and I started to travel, I think I feel like I'm kind of making up for lost time in the ways that I didn't get to travel as a child. And um, it's, yeah, it's one of the joys of, of the living for me these days. Travel can mean lots of different things, right? It can be very small moments and it can be large. How do you kind of quantify your travels? Ooh, I like that because I I also think about how when I've gone to a place over and over, as we said, I'm in DC now. I've been to DC so many times. I lived here long ago. And does this still count as something I would consider travel? And I think I do. I think I come into a space with curiosity um, and the excitement of finding somewhere new. Even whenever I land back in New York City, I'm excited to be home and see what will come up for me, what I'll understand about the city, humanity, myself, when I walk through the streets. I relate to that so much because I get to travel a lot for work and then Mm -hmm. also try and prioritize it personally. And I end up coming back to New York feeling so excited to (laughs) be in New York and experience it and get to be in this city. And I know that I'm very lucky that I get to live in New York so I have so much at my fingertips but you know the hope is that the traveling doesn't end when you land back in the airport or the train station and I think it's a lifestyle choice like you know lean into curiosity or wonder wherever you are in 2016 Rachel set out on a life-changing trip I have been traveling you know since I first did that big solo travel trip in 2016 or 17. What was that big trip? I got fired from a family that I was nannying for. And I had like a whole summer between that that being fired and starting school at Columbia. And so I was like, I think I'm going to travel. And so I ended up uh, getting a bunch of virtual assistant clients, uh, people I ghost wrote for or people who I would do their social media for them. And I left New York City and I went to um, Hawaii, Puerto Rico, Arizona, um, 
Tokyo, Japan, Osaka, Japan, uh, the Goto Islands of Japan. And then I went over to Thailand and I spent um, some time in Phuket and Bangkok. And all I had was my carry-on and a backpack. It was my first time using a passport, my first time out of the country. Um, I worked at hostels and I would like work the front desk for a few hours in exchange for a room and access to, you know, the hostel kitchen. I had $3 in my account, but I had such an incredible time. <laughs> I feel like what those hostel jobs must have, having sh- stayed in my fair share of them, you must have crossed <laughs> paths with some characters and it must have been a really good way of meeting people. I think staying at hostels is such a good idea for people because one, you get, it's like automatically you get to meet people in the same way where you meet friends at school simply because you happen to be in the same building. But also um, everyone's, you know, there's different types of travelers in one place. So maybe there will be one night when you want to go bar hopping where that wouldn't normally be what you do while you're traveling. So it takes you out of your comfort zone a bit. Um, Yeah, I think I, I will never like downplay hostels. I think they're such a great resource. Yeah, I think they're an amazing resource and I have such good memories of them in a way that, you know. Yeah. I've also stayed at some like incredible, beautiful hotels and they provided their own mm-hmm. memories. But hostels have also given me so much. There's something special about hostels. After the break, Rachel describes setting up a home away from home in Jamaica. Do you sometimes wake up with the desire to understand the seen and the unseen forces guiding you through this life? And are you ready to begin uncovering the impact of these forces in your day to day? Do you feel that you could use a little push, a little umph, or maybe even a little juju to be reminded of your power within your ancestors to truly understand you? Well, child, so it sounds like you need a little juju podcast in your life. Hey, bays! I'm your host, Juju Bay. Welcome, Aquaba. Bienvenidos to the Womanist Witchy Insight Show, diving deep into the Black healing journey, pop culture juju, and the ancestral spiritual systems that can help get us free. So please come on over and join the ALJ Pod family. New episodes drop every single Wednesday, and you can listen wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tanya Mosley. In 1987, my sister Anita vanished without a trace. Decades later, thanks to DNA, we found her. But that's only the beginning of the story. She Has a Name is a new audio documentary that explores the search for redemption, confronting trauma, and healing in the face of unimaginable loss. Subscribe now to Truth Be Told Presents She Has a Name, where every revelation brings us closer to the truth. In your interview with our How I Travel column, you talked a lot about Jamaica and that you found that, you know, places like Kingston are actually like super underrated. I am desperate to go to Jamaica and haven't been. Yes, yes. You have to get to Jamaica. I have this little cabin up in the mountains, up in Blue Mountain, and it's really incredible. One, because it's surrounded by all this greenery. There's a river that runs behind it and it's just like such a special place. But also it's just 30 minutes outside of the city of Kingston. And it's this incredible Jamaican experience outside of just being on the beach. And I really uh, do not take for granted the very local um experience that I get up in the mountains in Jamaica. Amen. 
But I think that with Kingston, there's so much value in the culture there, including the art, including the music, the architecture, including, um, you know, even just the way the community comes together, the people that they honor from their culture who have made a mark on the world. It has been really special to, um, you know, find home in a place, um, especially as someone whose family is a descendant of slavery, being able to call home a place where I'm not the minority in this space has been really moving for me. There is a lot of exploration available around the island, specifically in Jamaica, when we move away from uh, the more tourist destinations and are able to appreciate who the island is as a whole, not just who they are when they're catering to visitors. Did you find that the first time that you went to Jamaica before you found your house in the mountain, Mm -hmm. that it felt like an instant connection, that it instantly felt like you'd found a sense of home and a space that was giving you something that here in the United States wasn't? Or was it a slower journey as you got to know it? It was absolutely a slower journey. The first time I ever had been to Jamaica, I had a really great time. And um, I was at a resort touristy space and um, it was wonderful. But I remember thinking, um, hmm, in my list of places I might want to live outside of the U.S., I don't know if Jamaica is one of the places. And then um, I got into a romantic relationship with someone who lived in Jamaica. And so I was going back and forth and I was like meeting their community and the grocery store, the pet store, the school system, the everyday bars and cafes. So yes, it was a a slow becoming of, um, of my relationship with Jamaica. And I am just so incredibly, incredibly grateful for it. Your house in the mountains. What does it sound like? What does it smell like up there? Take me there. (laughs) It's a wooden home. Behind it is a river that flows down the mountain and I'm able to, um, I wash my feet in it often. It's a place that I spend my mornings and whenever I have guests, I'm always excited to go and spend time together there by the river. Um, it's full. I, I thrifted the furniture that's inside of it. And so it, it's full of so much character. And um, I really created it as a, uh, what I, I call it like a slow living guest house. I have like a hanging hammock chair and I have so many books that I brought with me. I have lots of like tarot card decks. I have lots of playing cards. And once like the food gets there and the music starts playing and the string lights are on, it really is such a divine place to be. Three years ago, Rachel set up the Loveland Foundation to offer free therapy to Black women and girls. She also partnered with cabin rental company Getaway to set up Year of Rest, which awards time away in the outdoors for people who are dedicated to working toward racial justice. In her new book, A Renaissance of Our Own, Rachel writes extensively about her own work as an activist. We talked a little bit about your book. How does travel fit into activism? 
I guess when I think of travel and activism, what comes to mind first is that travel is a really great opportunity to activate the radical empathy that I speak of in my book. It's an opportunity to step into a space and recognize your privilege, recognize there are better ways to exist in the world outside of what America has told you. And so I think that travel is part of activism because it puts you in a space like, oh, I see what you're experiencing, but like, how do I play into what you're experiencing. Um, And then hopefully your actions on site when you're traveling will be in alignment with your values of how you want to show up um, with respect, with consideration, with thoughtfulness when you are being welcomed into other spaces. I have tried to be very intentional about curating how I want to move through the world. And part of that intention is figuring out, you know, what are my highest values and how can I implement them? And one of my highest values is, you know, this autonomy and this space to move the way that I'd like, when I like, how I like. And that pours into how I date, that pours into my decision not to have children, that pours into where I decide to live. And I think that as a woman who has made very clear choices about the type of life that I want to live, you know, I talk a lot about not wanting to have children and what that means for the type of lifestyle I'm crafting. You know, it's very interesting that you mention the choice not to have children in the context of traveling as well. You know, I do not have children right now. And people respond to that, respond to a woman traveling by herself boldly in her 30s in many strange ways Mm -hmm. to the point where I was in the Amazon rainforest and a man like a a tourist asked me in response to me telling him when to watch the sunrise he asked me when I was going to have children (laughs) god and I was like how have I got this far (laughs) I was just telling you when you could see the pink dolphins (laughs) wasn't expecting that So, and and I think, yeah, to be, to travel boldly, like you said, is, you know, it's a, a work in progress, I think, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. both for those who do it and those who watch others. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Coming up, what's on Rachel's playlist and what suggestions she has for all of us when it comes to optimal recharging. We've all been there before. You're planning a dinner party or having family over or even just cooking for yourself when all of a sudden it starts to feel overwhelming. Uh, I live in a very small one-bedroom apartment with a very small kitchen. I can't figure out what to serve besides water soup at this point. I'm Chris Morocco, food director of Bon Appetit and Epicurious, and this is Dinner SOS, a new podcast from Bon Appetit. Maybe it's a last-minute party with no menu inspiration, a kitchen with no space. A toddler who will eat buttered pasta. Name your dinner emergency. We're here to help. Here's how the show works. On each episode, we'll take a call from a home cook facing a real dinner emergency. Then I'll work with one of our editors or someone from our amazing test kitchen to try and solve it. Because cooking for the people you love should inspire joy without a side of stress. Make sure you're following Dinner SOS wherever you're listening now. I love making playlists for my travels. And so does Rachel. 
one of the ways I craft my playlist is I love a moment where I am somewhere, whether it's at the airport on the way somewhere, or when I actually get to a location and I meet someone at a bar and I'm like, what playlist are you listening to right now? Like send it over to me. I want to know to kind of give me some, try to get me out of the algorithm and into like real life Mm -hmm. discovery (laughs) of new music. But also I listen to whatever playlist I have for a trip. I'm listening to it from the second I like get into my Uber on the way to the airport all the way through till I'm dropped off back home. And it gives me the audio memory of perhaps the trip where I'm like, oh yeah, I had that song on repeat. Yes, I so get that. (laughs) In East Africa. Oh, I had that song on repeat when I was, you know, on the West Coast. And so, um, and I also, I love to go down memory lane. All of my friends are so annoyed. Like Rachel, yes, we remember it just happened last night. We don't have to go down memory lane (laughs) to talk about it. And so I love to just put on a playlist and be like, remember this, remember this, remember this. Um, So yeah, the playlist absolutely matters for the vibes, but also for the memories. (laughs) Yes, I feel like there's two. I have the ones with the vibes and that are like that I'm going to listen back to after and be like, oh my God, I remember like driving through this like Mm -hmm. incredible scenery listening to this song. And then another thing that I've started doing is I did this when I was in Tanzania is asking a cab driver to just like put on their playlist or their Mm. preferred radio station and then Shazamming or asking them them what they're listening to. And then that becomes its own playlist. (laughs) Yes, I love that. I love that so much. I'm going to steal that idea. Oh my God, be my guest. It's like very fun. And it also means that sometimes on my shuffle, like weird, like random unexpected things come up and then I'm like, oh yeah, I remember that. My bookstore, we exist with the premise that we have no cis white men on the shelves. Rachel is also a great champion of literature. Her store, Elizabeth's Bookshop in her hometown of Akron, Ohio, is also a literacy and community centre that amplifies and celebrates marginalised voices. We feel like we've heard enough from them. And so you'll get (laughs) the type of diverse authors that will really feed you in ways that traditional canons aren't able to. I'm interested to know how much of the shelves is filled with travel memoirs and travel guides, or Mm. is that just kind of more of an organic thing that crops up? I think that the way that I infuse the idea of travel into my bookshelf is pulling books from authors from different spaces who are able to describe firsthand, you know, what their what their childhood home looked like, who are able to uh, even nonfiction books that speak to uh, maybe how the landscape or geography of a space has changed over time. Um, but specifically novels that speak to the lived experience of people in other places. I don't have a lot of traditional travel books. I have been intentional about about bringing authors from different spaces that will kind of bring various landscapes into the room. I probably shouldn't admit this as an editor at Colin Ass Traveler, but I (laughs) often find myself reading fiction and memoirs connected to a place before I travel a lot more than a straight Mm -hmm. guide or straight travel reportage. I feel like that's kind of like, my inspiration and my planning. And then when I'm actually getting to the place, the books I'm looking for are are a little bit different. Yeah, yeah. 
And I also, uh, you know, I travel alone a lot and Mm -hmm. books are a way to keep myself company. Mm -hmm. You know, you kind of, you've spoken so much about kind of looking inwards and doing that work on yourself to ultimately take better care of oneself. What advice would you give to listeners who find themselves needing to slow down and take a beat? Oftentimes we feel discouraged because we can't book a vacation immediately or we can't, you know, take off half a day for work. And so I think it's worth kind of finding these small, simple opportunities to sit with ourselves. You know, whether it's the five minutes before you walk into work while you're still in the car or saying, you know, on this train ride commute, I'm actually going to listen to this podcast I want to listen to that will give me a moment of me doing exactly what I want to do. Even these small ways of being thoughtful with what we're eating for lunch and letting that be a moment of slowness and softness instead of the rush that often comes with our meals. I hope that people can step away from like the shame of what they can't do in terms of taking care of themselves and really invest in and find joy in in seeking the small ways that they can say, oh, I did that for me. I love that. I think I'm going to leave work early and go to yoga. (laughs) (laughs) Don't tell your boss I was the one who suggested that. (laughs) I will. I'm going to hold hold you to it. Rachel, this has been such a joy. So thank you. Next week, we have two phenomenal climbers. Jen Pedem, a BAFTA-nominated film director who makes documentaries about both mountaineering and Everest and professional rock climber Sasha DeJulian, the first woman to climb over 30 of the world's most treacherous ascents. I'm Lale Aracoglu, and you can find me on Instagram at Lale Hanna. Our engineers are Jake Loomis and Gabe Caroga. The show's mixed by Amar Lal. Jude Kampfner from Corporation for Independent Media is our producer. See you next week. I'm Alex Schwartz. I'm Nomi Fry. I'm Vincent Cunningham, and this is Critics at Large, a New Yorker podcast for the culturally curious. Each week, we're going to talk about a big idea that's showing up across the cultural landscape, and we'll trace it through all the mediums we love. Books, movies, television, music, art. And I always want to talk about celebrity gossip, too. Of course. What are you guys excited to cover in the next few months? There's a new uh, translation of The Iliad that's coming out, Emily Wilson. Really excited to see... Whether I can read the Iliad again, whether I'm that literate, I'm, I mean, the jury is out. I can't wait to hear Adam Driver go again in an Italian accent in Michael Mann's Ferrari. <laughs> he can't stop. I mean, and, and bless him. I can't wait. Molto bene. Molto bene. <laughs> <laughs> we hope you'll join us for new episodes each Thursday. Follow Critics at Large today, wherever you get podcasts. You really don't want to miss this. Don't. Don't miss this. Don't miss it. See you soon. <laughs>